Peter, please. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. If you're around our church long enough or around any genuine expression of Orthodox Christianity, you'll notice a certain paradox with regard to what we might call pleasure or enjoyment. We don't hesitate to uh, enjoy life, to enjoy the good things that the creation has to offer. But we also hesitate to say that certain things are wrong, to draw moral boundaries and lines. Genuine faith always involves this sort of mixture of affirmation and negation. Genuine faith involves both a yes and a no. When St. Peter tells us in the epistle, quote, abstain from fleshy lusts that war against the soul, we could hear that wrongly as meaning that we should avoid all pleasurable things, as we were saying, stop having any fun. But there's a distinction between what he calls fleshly lusts and rightly ordered human desire. Fleshly lusts are our fallen human desires, our disordered desires, that cause us to pursue created things as the ultimate good in life, as idols, as though there's some thing in this world, some temporal thing that can make us eternally happy. Jesus redeemed the entire world, and that includes the physical creation, as we sing in the Good Friday hymn, earth and stars and sky and ocean by that flood from stain are free. And the redemption of the world allows us to enjoy the creation rightly. And the right way to enjoy it is sacramentally. To see created things as a sign of the invisible creator. To enjoy things not as ends, but as, as means to the end of God. And thus, when we enjoy things sacramentally, we give thanks to God for them, and then we use them in accordance with his instructions. When we understand that uh, genuine enjoyment of creation involves saying yes to certain things and no to certain other things, we understand this kind of paradoxical approach to the good things of life. Our desires are naturally disordered. We naturally pursue created things as the end of life. We are naturally attached to things that actually make us miserable. We can't break free from these cycles. This is why the practice of our faith involves the reordering of our desires, teaching ourselves to say yes to the things that are good and to say no to the things that are, are not good for us because they're contrary to God's will. The demonic lie rooted in Genesis 3 in the account of the fall, but present everywhere, is that there is some good thing we can have in the creation apart from God's will for us. This is what happened in the original story, and it happens in each of our stories. Hey, did God say not to this is really a good thing? We do it. 
and we enter into the cycle of futility. That lie is the root of all human futility. We pursue created things at the end of life, and they don't fulfill us. But what do we do? We try harder next time to make them fulfill us. Or we shift over to some other kind of idol, thinking that this one will be better. Our futility is fueled by this promise that we will eventually find that thing that will fulfill us apart from God. We'll eventually, apart from God's will, achieve world peace or the secret to happiness. The only answer is death and resurrection, the cross of our Lord and Easter. Dying to all things that are contrary to God's will and rising to a new life which involves both the enjoyment of the good things of the new creation and also discipline, teaching ourselves to abstain from the fleshly lusts, those desires that can never fulfill us. When we talk about life or prayer and ascetical discipline, that's all it really is, is training ourselves to affirm the good and detach ourselves from the other kinds of things that we're too deeply attached to make us miserable, but we keep doing it. The life of prayer, which is the means of grace that God brings into our lives, allows us to detach ourselves, to die to that which is not good, and to live more fully through, through God in Christ, through the Spirit. In the epistle, St. Peter says that we should abstain from fleshly lusts, quote, as strangers and pilgrims. This is a reference to Abraham. When Abraham, the great patriarch in the Bible, bought a burial cave for his wife Sarah from the native inhabitants of the land of Canaan. He was not a resident of that area, so he went to them and said, I am a stranger and a pilgrim among you. He never owned any property except that cave which they sold him. He lived in the promised land as a resident alien, not having any permanent possession, but also being the heir of that land. And this relates to our status as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, living in this current world order under the rule of Christ, the king, who will rule over this world in one sense, but is also not fully here in another sense. We're in a kingdom. We live in a kingdom that is present through the Spirit, already in the world, already doing the work of new creation, and yet, if not yet, fully. We wait for the resurrection, the renewal of the whole created order of the appearance of Christ to bring it to its fruition. And this governs the way we look at life. We can enjoy the world because we can see Christ in it. But we can also give up the world, say no to the world, because we know that no created thing is ultimate. No created thing can ultimately fulfill us. This allows us then to, to say yes in the right places and say no, because we understand our proper status. Those who are fully citizens of this world have to hold on to this world tightly, because it is all they have. And they feel when they lose it, they lose everything. But we who are strangers and pilgrims, citizens of the heavenly kingdom, 
live here with an open hand. We are free to enjoy the good things sacramentally as signs and gifts from our Creator. But we are also free to let go of them. Because we can find Christ both in the creation, in the pleasures of it, and also in the absence of those pleasures when he becomes our manna in the wilderness. We can use the language of the gospel to help us understand this a little bit. Jesus talks about these little wiles, which have always been confusing in trying to understand that passage. A little while you uh, will not see me, again a little while you will see me. That's kind of a pattern for the Christian life. There are always little wiles when we don't see him, and little wiles when we see him again. And it just governs our approach as strangers and pilgrims in the world. There are times we see him in the creation, we can affirm life in Christ. And there are times when we go through seasons that we don't see him. But we always know, we always have this inner hope that we will see him again. And we have this joy that no one can take from us. In the name of the Father and the Son. Amen.